New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. It is only through a change in human consciousness that the world will be transformed. The personal and the planetary are connected. As we expand our awareness of mind, body, psyche, and spirit, and bring that awareness actively into the world, so also will the world be changed. This is our quest as we explore new dimensions. Awe is a complex emotion and frequently involves a sense of surprise, unexpectedness, or mystery. The late D.H. Lawrence says, A sense of wonder, that is our sixth sense. And the website of the extraordinary performance group, Cirque du Soleil, also concurs that awe is the sixth sense. Einstein reminds us that the most beautiful thing we can experience is the mysterious. It is the source of all true art and science. He to whom this emotion is a stranger, who can no longer pause to wonder and stand wrap in awe, is as good as dead. His eyes are closed. So, dear listener, You've no doubt guessed that today the subject we'll be exploring is wonder and awe with our guest, Alan Klein. Alan Klein is the former director of Life and Death Transitions in San Francisco. He's a recipient of a Lifetime Achievement Award from the Association for Applied Therapeutic Humor. He's the author of many books, including The Healing Power of Humor, also, Embracing Life After Loss, A Gentle Guide for Growing Through Grief, and The Awe Factor, How a Little Bit of Wonder Can Make a Big Difference in Your Life. Join us for the next hour as we explore the positive benefits of awe and how to enjoy more of it in our life with our guest, Alan Klein. I'm speaking with Alan at his home by remote connection. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. I'll be your host. Welcome to New Dimensions. Alan, welcome. Well, wonderful to be here, Justine. Thank you for having me on your program again. Love seeing oh, you. Love being yeah. here. I know. It's wonderful, uh, even if we're doing this virtually, to be with you once more. Alan, thank you so much for joining us. And I would like to begin with asking you, what gave you the idea for writing a book about awe? Well, all of my books have been self-help, you know, how to help people have a happier, more joyful life. And I realized as I was getting older, I look back in some of the incidents in my life, and I realized a lot of them have been you know, how did that possibly happen? 
you know, kind of a knock my socks off kind of um, incident. Um, and so I stopped putting them all together and looked at them and I thought, at least for me, not the dictionary definition, not the scientific definition. For me, these were all moments. These were incredible things that happened to me that uh, brought more joy and wonder in my life. And so I thought, I want to share those with other people. And then I wanted to share how other people can notice those incredible moments in their life so they could be happier. And then as I start doing research on awe and wonder, it's a fairly new science, maybe about eight years old, that um, it has some very wonderful benefits to it that a lot of people probably don't know. And particularly in this difficult time we've had in the pandemic, how, how it could help people focus on the more positive and put some of those worries and anxiety behind them. So that's why I wrote the book. Oh, wonderful, wonderful. And I'm delighted that you have. And um, just talking about the benefits, I know that you write about a team of neuroscientists uh, led by Bo Lotto, who um, recorded people's brainwaves as they were watching uh, Cirque du Soleil. And, and, and they came up with, in their research, the benefits like enhanced willingness to explore the unknown and increased empathy towards others and a greater tolerance to risk. These were just a few of them. Decreased uh, the effects of stress and increased uh, creativity. Those are just a few, and I know that you've listed many more in your book. So let's talk about those benefits because this sounds like a major thing uh, for us if we're going to consider awe uh, as, as the sixth sense. Maybe we should put it as th the top of the list of what we can <laughs> sense in our lives. Right. Well, you know, you bring up Cirque du Soleil. I don't know if you've ever seen any of those. I've seen as many as I can in Las Vegas, the ones that are just built for the theater. One was about water, and I had like a second row seat, and they give you raincoats because you get splashed with the water. But what I found is this, uh, it really talking about connecting people. It really connects you when that whole audience, uh, something happens, some amazing thing, like a diver dives from 100 feet into the water on the stage, and the whole audience goes, ah, you know, it is certainly an awe moment. And it's also... I don't know if you realize this, uh, Justine, but it's a dictionary definition of awe, which says awe, part one of the definitions, awe is, a, is the reverence mixed with fear and wonder. Reverence mixed with fear and wonder. And when I was writing the book, I thought fear, I don't experience fear so much with awe. But then I realized Cirque du Soleil, you look at one of those acts and it's like your heart is beating, your stomach is dropping, and yet it's like you're an amazing thing that they could do that and this fear involved. You know, what if there's something goes wrong? I was just thinking skydiving might be the same, might right, give right? you the same feeling. 
or in nature. You know, I know when I was a kid and there was thunder and lightning, I would be amazed. I would be awed by the lightning and then the thunder came and I would be scared stiff. <laughs> you know, if I was in bed, I would hide under the blanket, right? So yes, that was a true definition or one of the definitions of awe. But back to Cirque du Soleil, you know, he talks about decreasing stress. It talks about increasing our creativity. And you notice how creative those, I mean, it's, that alone is jaw-dropping. Opening your eyes wide, how could they do that? Look, I mean, one of the shows, I've, it had um, a small woman. Not a dwarf, but a woman, all the regular features, but she was like three feet tall. And she came out, I guess the guy was like in some kind of carriage, and she was in the front seat, and I thought it was a doll. And then she got off the carriage and started walking around the stage. And I literally, <laughs> I could not believe this. Um so, so they create things like that that uh, is just full of awe, full of wonder, and we're getting some of those awe benefits that researchers like Bolado, who did the research on Cirque du Soleil, has shown scientifically that awe is bringing some of these benefits. I know that there are those who would say that, um, I think it's uh, Dr. Kelton, Dasher da, yeah, Keltner, yes. Dasher Keltner um, says um, that awe is not rare. It's it's. I mean, like it's great to go to Las Vegas and sit in on as with an audience with Cirque du Soleil, but but it's it's not rare. It can be part of our everyday life. Uh, do you have some comments on that? Well, he dispelled two myths. One was that awe is rare. And that um, you need to go someplace special, like Niagara Falls or Grand Canyon. And uh, particularly in my book, what I wanted to show people is that awe and wonder is all around us. And often in the eyes of the beholder, because what I see is all you may not see. But one example I'd like to give you, Justine, is I was listening, I think it was NPR, and there were three prisoners getting out of prison that day, and the reporters came up to them and asked, what are you looking forward to when you get out of prison? And, you know, we certainly, they said some of the things we would think of, like seeing my family, going out to a restaurant, you know, some things like that, reading uh, books or going to the theater or music or... But the third prisoner said something that really struck me. And he said, the thing I'm looking forward to is opening the refrigerator. And I thought, we all have refrigerators. How do you see opening the refrigerator as awe? Uh, or, you know, something that he was looking forward to after being in prison so many years. And I thought, he could never, in all those years, could never go to the refrigerator and get a glass of milk. Or opening the refrigerator to take out his dinner because he didn't know in prison even what he would be served. And so this was like an amazing moment for him. And it taught me 
how incredible technology is, or just the refrigerator. I mean, I grew up years ago when we we would go to the country because we lived in New York City and it would get really hot, so we'd rent a house in the country and there was no refrigerator. There was an icebox. <laughs> and two or three times a week, the iceman would come with these blocks of ice <laughs> and put them in the fridge to keep the food cold. And now we have everyone nearly has a refrigerator. It's true. I think of um, a story that was told many years ago when Khrushchev, uh, the premier of the Soviet Union at that time, came to the U.S. and he did a tour of the U.S. and they they toured him around. and And for some reason, one of the stops that he had was in Houston, I believe. And he um, asked them to stop at a grocery store un- unscheduled because he didn't believe that what he was seeing in the U.S. was really true, that they were just kind of taking him to certain places. And so he said, I want you to stop here. And and they stopped, and he walked into the grocery store, and he walked into the produce section. And, of course, it's it's filled with all everything, you know, the broccoli and the cauliflower and the lettuce and the tomatoes and all of it is there. I do. I think I remember that he he burst into tears when he mm. realized the mm. the abundance that was that was real in the country, and so to this very day, I must say, when I go into a grocery store, I think about that whenever I go into the produce <laughs> section. <laughs> right. Yeah. I want to remind our listeners uh, that I'm here with Alan Klein, and he's the author of the Awe Factor: How a Little Bit of Wonder Can Make a Big Difference in Your Life. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Alan Klein. He's the author of The Awe Factor, How a Little Bit of Wonder Can Make a Big Difference in Your Life. Children live in in a state of awe. And you tell this wonderful story, Alan, about being in an outdoor cafe and you yes. with your dog, your golden retriever, who's tied up outside. And, and can you describe that moment with sure. your dog, Josh, and the kid? Sure. So it's a beautiful sunny day. I was at lunch, outdoor cafe, a little fence around the tables where I tied the dog, as you said. 
And I noticed there was a mother and her young child. I'm not good at age. Maybe the child was three. I'm not sure. But my golden retriever was out there, and the, the little child noticed my dog's fluffy, you know, golden retriever tail, like this big plume, waving back and forth. And he came over, and he was just giggling at the the breeze from the tail, you know, going back and forth. At every now and then it might touch his face, and, and he would try to reach it, but of course the dog wouldn't let him. But the laughter from the tickling of his face... And it was, I just kept watching, and it didn't go on that long, maybe a couple of minutes, but the child was definitely in awe of this dog's tail, you know? And uh, again, it's the simplest little thing. Children can show us how the simplest little thing in our life can bring such joy and happiness. Exactly. Yes, and I, I you you describe the scene so well, and I can just see it with the dog he wagging its tail and brushing against a kid's face or something. Yeah, it's really great. Often these moments of awe and wonder are related to um, synchronicity and coincidence. That often brings like ah. Uh, Whoa, how did that happen? And uh, there's another story that really illustrates this in in some way. You were in in an airport, and you sat next to, synchronistically, this couple from New York. Do you recall that? And you were looking for an apartment to stay in in New York? Okay. I uh, For me, that's two different stories, but... <laughs> <laughs> oh, really? Uh, Have I mixed them well, up? Okay. May, may, well, I don't know. Um, but I remember both, uh, and both are, are inspiring. That's why I put it in the book. But I was at the airport waiting for my plane. This couple was waiting for theirs. They were going to London. I, I was going to New York. Maybe that's why um, you said that. Yes, right. Exactly. <clears throat> and his plane kept being delayed, and they were very upset because their, um, they had tickets for the theater that night and they were going to miss the show. I'd written uh, one of my other books, You Can't Ruin My Day. And I was trying to tell them that nobody could ruin their day. And Oh, I know, I had a pin on with the title of the book. Ah. <laughs> And so um, he saw it, and we started talking. And, you know, I talked about the book and some of the things I have in the book to help him not let it ruin his day. And my plane was called, and I went on. And that was it. I totally forgot about it. A couple of years later, I'm at the theater in San Francisco, maybe two years later. Intermission, this man comes up to me. I didn't recognize him. And he said, do you remember a couple of years ago, me and my wife were going to London and our plane was delayed and we were going to miss the show. And you told us, don't let it ruin our day. I'm surprised he recognized me, but he said, I finally realized, yes, I remember. He said, well, what happened is they put us on a different plane. We, we were upgraded and we got to London, and we got to Seattle. 
And he said, yeah. thank you so much for helping me not get so stressed out about that incident. So for me, that was an awe moment. I mean, he, after two years and, and recognizing me. So I think that's the story that you yeah, were thinking of, yeah, yes? Yeah, yeah. And um, I know that you say something about, like, putting up your antenna for for certain uh, <laughs> things. when And I know Deepak Chopra, the spiritual teacher, says what you pay attention to grows. So, and this is kind of related to um, affirmations that confirm, um, and when we confirm and declare what we're seeking, it's like putting up our antenna. So can you talk about how, how this all works in a, very mysterious way. Well, right. Mysterious is the right word because I don't know how it works, Justine. <laughs> All I know <laughs> is when I use it, it works. <laughs> so I keep using it. One of my affirmations, and your listeners are free to take this, uh, it's not copyrighted, but the one that I use a lot and wor often works for me is the world treats me as royalty wherever I go. The world treats me as royalty wherever I go. And I don't know why that works. It does. I mean, I found a $100 bill on the street. <laughs> I, you know, I have so many stories about that. Um, and I think I think you're right. It's all part of the the energy we put out. And in fact, this is a good lead-in to the New York story that you just mentioned. I was going to New York. I always go every year, and I usually stay at my cousin's house in Queens. And she had passed away the year before, so that next year I had nowhere to stay. So I'm in San Francisco. I'm at a cocktail party. I don't know most of the people because somebody took me there. And this woman way across the room comes over and looks straight at me and goes, you are so cute. You are so adorable. <laughs> I, you know, my antennas musted me up. I don't know what it was. And so we start laughing and joking. And I said, uh, where are you from? Because... It was a conference, and there were a lot of people from all over the world. And she said, I'm from New York City. And I said, oh, well, I'm going to be there in four months. Do you know of anyone that might have an apartment that I could stay at? Because I like apartments rather than hotels. And she said, well, when are you going? I said, we're going the last week in May. And she said, we're going to be in Italy the last week in May. You could stay at our apartment. And I said, well, what do you charge? And she said, oh, we don't charge anything. We just want someone to be in the apartment. That was the first, in that May, I stayed at the apartment. And every time she goes to Europe, she lets me know she's going. And I have stayed there five or six times. Wow, wow. Weeks at a time at a free apartment in New York City. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> that... You know, as you were telling that story and how she walked, there were a lot of people, or you described, like there may be 50 people in the room, and you're on the other side of the room, and she walks all the way across the room. 
and I'm th- it just reminded me as you told that story of that song, you know, some enchanted evening. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, across the river, right. Actually, yeah. there's a little PS to that. I didn't know it at the time, but I found and I just found this out. I didn't know it for the last couple of years. Her daughter happened to be in the group that I was standing talking to. So she actually came over to be with her daughter and saw that I was dressed. I had a really nice tie and jacket and and saw me. But there's still something quite amazing that, one, that she came over to the group, two, that... um, I needed an apartment and she was going to have a vacant one when I needed it, uh, that she didn't charge because I have stayed in New York at apartments where I pay even a friend I paid (laughs) to stay. So there was just so many amazing things about that incident. And it reminds me of something that you write about in your book. You write about how um, the, the energy that's available to us for these synchronistic events and it's like electricity is is always there but we have to turn on the light to actually then see the benefits of it so it can can you flesh that out for me sure well i don't know if i put this in my bio but you know i've done a tedx talk and that was on the power of intention And I think what you're talking about is intention. You know, what do you put your intention on? And I could cite a uh, scientific study related to awe and intention. So this, actually this study just was, um, came out. It, It was done by a researcher at UCSF. And they had a group of 60 elderly people and they divided them in two groups. One, they trained or they talked about when you go out for your walk, and they did a walk, 15-minute walk, once a week for eight weeks. So one group was kind of tuned in to finding something that was all a wonder for them on the walk, and the other was just to go have your walk. After eight weeks, they, they did some testing and they found that the group that had the intention of finding awe, not only did they say they were happier, they were less upset, they connected to more people more easily, and they found more positive emotions and they kind of uh, diminished their negative emotions. So what, what, what was the difference? The difference was they put their intention out to find some awe or something that amazed them or something that they found was wonder in their life. That was the only difference. I, I'm, I'm reminded of, of something that you, you wrote and shared with us. It was the um, uh, story from El um, Alexandria and how she was crossing the street and it's so beautifully written uh, how she is crossing the street and she hears a cardinal a female cardinal singing in a bare branches of a tree and then pretty soon she hears the, her mate you know singing back to her 
and she's just crossing the street and hearing, and again, it's like putting her attention on that, and she's just like it's filled. She's filled with with awe and and a sense of just joy to 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 notice these birds as she's walking across the street. There, there it is. I want to remind our listeners, I'm here with Alan Klein, and he is the author of The Off Factor. And if you want to know more about his work, you can go to his website, alanklein.com, and he spells his name A-L-L-E-N, and his last name K-L-E-I-N, alanklein.com. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Alan Klein, the author of many, many books. I mean, you're so prolific. But um, the the one that we're really focusing on today is called The Awe Factor, How a Little Bit of Wonder Can Make a Big Difference. And I want to briefly uh, tell a story because it just okay. it reminded me of an awe moment in my life Um I was in Washington, D.C., and my husband and I were part of um, some sort of celebration of um, John Templeton. And our grandchildren lived there close to Washington, D.C. So before this, before we went to this celebration, uh, we took our grandchildren to the Library of Congress. And we did this because, like, Michael went to school at Gonzaga in out of Washington, D.C., and that was his library. He would often get a pass to, to leave his high school and go over to the Library of Congress to do his work. And so he wanted his grandkids to see it. And he, he was parking the car, and I took them in. He didn't go in with us. And... Um, they wanted to explore, and I finally said, okay, I was going to let them explore. And I um, said, okay, we're going to meet down in the gift shop at such and such a time. And so I waited for them in the gift shop, and I waited for them in the gift shop, and they weren't showing up. And I got really concerned. I thought, oh, I've made a mistake. Something is going on here. You know, I thought, ah, they've been kidnapped or, you know, something like that. I was just, like, freaked out. But finally they show up and they said, oh, we got lost. But you know what? We got to see... Uh, the Wizard of Oz, we got to, there was a whole display of that, and, and we got to see the red red slippers of uh, Dorothy, and they were all excited, and, and so um, I was glad that everything turned out well. So now later, uh, we're at the National Cathedral where they're doing the celebration, and I'm, I'm sitting in the second pew, I think, and next to me there's this 
fellow, and um, so we begin talking. It, the ceremony hasn't started, and we just start talking. And I said to him, I, I told him the story. I said, you know, my grandkids got lost in the Library of Congress. And I said, but you know, I, I can't think of a better place for anyone to get lost than the Library of Congress. And this man <laughs> turned around to me and said, oh, oh, I agree. I'm uh, the head librarian of the Library of Congress. <laughs> I mean, I mean, what made me tell the story? I have no idea, but it just was—it was an awe moment. Yes. You, your book is filled with these. Yeah, well, that's you know, uh, I think the best way to illustrate a point is to tell a story. <laughs> right. Um, exactly. But you bring up an incredible. Point and a way that people can get more on their life, get lost. Get lost, <laughs> right? I was in Europe two years ago. I usually travel every year, but of course couldn't do it uh, recently. But two years ago I was there and just, you know, I don't have a map of the city or anything. I just walked down this street, that street, because that's that's the things that thrill me and awe me because I don't know what I'm going to be seeing. I don't want a book to tell me, oh, good look at this and that. That's already taken away the wonder. So, you know, I walk down the street and there's this incredible statue or the, whatever, this store that, you know, has amazing things or, I you know, so get lost, get lost. Get lost there. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. I, I just love that about getting lost, and going back to to some of the uh, ways that why awe is important or the benefits of awe. And um, one of the things that it can do is expand our sense of time. Do you relate to that? Yes, yeah, so imagine if you're in uh, the Grand Canyon, and it's so vast, you know, and th this is uh, the scientific kind of definition. It's, when we get that vastness, we're going to have to, they say, change our schema, change the way we see the world, and we become smaller, and we, we see our place in the world. I can't really well, exaggerate. I'm not I, a scientist. I, I was trying to think of how they've done all this, uh, the research. But I'm thinking, as you say that, too, as we, we feel small and everything, but going back to the uh, Cirque du Soleil, uh, when everybody's experiencing the same thing, it's also, like, very connective. Like, we're, we, we might be in the Grand Canyon, but... And might feel really small, but in some way feel connected to a larger whole, maybe? I, right. Not, is. And because of that, and the scientists, uh, researchers have found this too, it helps our compassion for others. So there's yes. another benefit of awe. And I think, again, in pandemic times... We need to kind of up our compassion for others. We need to uh, up our connection to others. And so finding awe, according to scientists, can do that. 
Well, I think right now in the pandemic, we've uh, we're we're here in the early spring of 2021, and um, I'm just thinking about how people are are very conscious more than ever of each other when we see that more than 500,000 people have died, and we see this over and over reflecting back to us, and it, in in some ways, it's connecting us with the the pain of of the world, and that's not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, yeah. It, it's yeah. people are less self absorbed in our own little world in some ways, even though we're isolated from one another. It's strange that we're more connected by this pandemic that's just connecting us all. It may not be a bad thing. One of the things I've done in actually all my books is that we can focus on the negative part of the pandemic or we can focus on the positive, how it's brought people together, maybe some of the inequities we have in our society that need to be corrected. Um, So we can look at that and we can work on those things or we can go, oh, this is, this is awful and focus on that. And as scientists are telling us that's not healthy because it stresses us out and doesn't help our uh, well-being. So there's a lot of uh, things to be grateful for. I know my daughter who lives in the same city I do we used to see each other twice a month. And now, even though we live in the same city, now every day at five o'clock on the dot, she calls me. Since last March, we have been talking every single day. And the things we talk about are amazing. And sometimes, like the other day, I got we were laughing because I said, Sarah, I'd love to talk to you, but... I have nothing to say. Well, <laughs> Justine, do you know we were on the phone a half hour after that. Something came up, and we just start chatting. And we've talked about, she said, Dad, you've never told me about, say, like my grandparents. Or, you know, so family stuff comes up. Or cooking, what are you having for dinner? Cooking comes up. Um, so sometimes it's very deep. Or nature comes up. She sent me a picture after we talked. She said, I'll send you a photo of uh, unusual butterflies she had in her garden. Now, these things would have never, I wouldn't maybe not known she had that butterfly or seen that picture. And wow. so That's there's crazy. just one, you know, closer connection to my daughter would have never happened without COVID-19. Wow. And you bring up that she took a photo of a butterfly. Um, you uh, That reminds me of a moment in your book. You, you bring up one of my favorite movies, and uh, I've never heard anybody talk about it. It's called Smoke. And uh, the two people in it uh, are Harvey Cattell and William Hurt are two of the actors in it, and as well as many others. And the Harvey Cattell person in the movie takes for years every single day takes a photo of the shop across the way right. and it ends up in an album of four 
thousand photos. And you have an exercise in your book, which I'm going to do. I, I, I haven't done it yet, but I'm going to do. Can, can you tell us about that exercise okay, or that prescription? Take a photo what, of something every day. Yeah, well, this, this happened to me, and um, I'm not sure this is the one you're talking about, but it involved taking a photo, so maybe it is. I, um, I took a class in which it was like a two-week class, and every day we got a uh, hint or a, um, what would you call it, something to look for uh, when you go out. Again, intention. And uh, that day it was to find things that are heart-shaped and take photos of them. And I went out and I came back and I was growing um, morning glories around my front gate. And I had walked in and out of my gate maybe 20 times before that, you know, in the week before, not realizing that every leaf on the plant was heart-shaped. <laughs> that, you know, I had never seen that before. Again, intention. Uh, it was a prompt they gave us. Um, so, and take took a photo and shared that with other people in the class of all the things that are heart-shaped all around us. I'm not sure that's the story you want. Well, that is a story, but, but you also <laughs> have in, in the book what you call prescriptions. And, ah. and so they're they're little pieces, and so you suggest for us ah. to actually do that to to find some particular thing uh, that draws our attention, and and we take a photo of it, and we do that every day. You say for three days in the movie Smoke, he did it for years, so yeah. he ended up with four thousand four thousand days, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah. and then to use that to see, I guess, expand our sense of awareness of a small mini thing that can be filled with fill us with awe, as if we concentrate on the small. I mean, I think of that poem that um, Jane Hirschville wrote about the ant crawling, got, got off of her newspaper that she brought in, and it was crawling across her computer screen. And it was just this little thing, and yet it was just like, it filled her with awe. It made her write this extraordinary poem. Yeah. I'm here with Alan Klein, and he is the author of The Awe Factor. And I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions.
I'm here with Alan Klein. He is the author of The Awe Factor. We were talking about photographs, and we don't have to go to the Grand Canyon to feel awe. Is that right? How There's something that you talk about in the book. You know, there's um, a Native American ritual that's called you a dream catcher that you put up to, to catch your bad dreams. And you talk about an awe catcher, uh, and, and so that we might maybe even have a photograph or something uh, that remind. Do Do you recall that exercise? Yeah, yes, yes, I do. It's um, yeah, it's, it's based on the Indian dream catcher. But I think you know, uh, what well, last part of the book is about all prescriptions, how people can get more on their life. And one of the things I got from the researchers, they found you don't have to be in, in the Grand Canyon or in, even in nature, any nature, um, because nature is the biggest generator of awe. The second is childbirth or being around young children generates awe. But what they're saying is you don't have to be in nature to get that same awe experience. If you have a photo of something in nature that once awed you, just having that around. And so that could be like an awe catcher, I think. Yes. That, that, look at that. Um, it's like I have several nature pictures around. You know, I, I also do that with humor and laughter. I have a picture of my daughter when she was younger and had a cream pie thrown in her face. And so I look at that and I just start laughing. So pictures can elicit emotions that we've experienced before. And the other is they, the researchers say if we write about that experience, so it's not only having the photo, but writing about that awe previous awe experience will bring it to life again and you'll get some of the same benefits. Oh, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. Thank you for, for sharing that. One of our senses is, is being able to hear things that will cause us to have awe. And I, I remember uh, somebody, um, I interviewed Ginny O'Dell, who wrote a book about um, the attention economy and where we put our attention. And she went to a John Cage concert in San Francisco. And, it, you know, you expect a full orchestra with cellos and, and clarinets and oboes and stuff. But in this case, it was... They were shuffling cards, and they were they had a the <laughs> uh, the the conductor had a blender, and he blended a milkshake on stage, and and what it did for her when she walked outside, she heard she was in San Francisco. She heard the the city as a symphony. She heard the buses as a symphony and the the pigeons on the sidewalk and the 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 cars honking or whatever it was it it all became this blended in your book you share a beautiful piece uh, that was written by the philosopher Sam Keane in his book Sighting and it, it was called Symphony in a Meadow and this just 
for me, just goes along with how how listening to different sounds can produce a feeling of awe. And I, I just love this piece, and I'd love to, to share it with our listeners uh, from your book. So it goes like this. After a long, cold night and no breakfast, Sam Keane, in his book, Sighting, writes, We heard a male bird advertise his virility by the intensity and vigor of his song, Different species, birds and insects, roused themselves from sleep at different intervals and began warming up their vocal cords. At first, a few of the featured soloists and supporting vocalists began rehearsing. A host of song sparrows practiced the soprano melody. Purple finches and lesser sparrows added chirps, tweets, and twitters. Morning doves croned their antiphonal moan. Ubiquitous crows provided the cause and cackles, and woodpeckers delivered the percussion. As the morning began to warm up, insects beyond number furnished a rich drone composed of hums, buzzes, and swish of wings. All of this was accompanied by the sign of the wind and the gurgling of the brook. A few minutes after full dawn arrived, the cacophony seemed to end, and the thousand individual creatures began to tune their instruments to a single complex pattern. Gradually, an invisible conductor forged the discord into a unified composition. Symphony in the meadow on Sugarloaf Mountain that lasted until the sun was high and hot. I, I, just, I just love that, just waking up and, and being so aware of the sounds. I'm, I'm thinking like yesterday, we all, if we listen to the news, we all heard the sound of wind on Mars. That put me in an awe moment. I mean, the wind on Mars. I mean, I just marveled at the technology that got us to Mars safely and got this this rover. Perseverance in. was the name. Perseverance. Oh. Ah. And Justin, you don't have to be on Mars. The other day I was in my shower and I thought, I'm going to see, you know, if there's any like, oh, little glimmer here. And I start just listening to the shower. And it reminded me of being under a waterfalls when I was in Hawaii. And so now I kind of experience my shower a little different. So it's just marvelous, all these ideas and suggestions about how we are surrounded by moments that bring us awe, opening our refrigerator door or, or be the water coming down in our shower and so many things, or, or seeing a child with a dog or... or or listening uh, to traffic as if it's a major symphony. 
Exactly, exactly. I know that you've worked with hospice and and you've you've worked with grief. And um, one of the things that you mentioned that really is a great producer of awe is the moment if we're ever so privileged to be with someone at the moment of their death. Yeah, I'm so glad you said it's a privilege because every time I work with uh, somebody who was dying, it was such, I learned so much from them. And yes, being, being with someone who one moment they're alive and the next the dead. Um, I, I think you may have even had him on the show, one of my gurus, Stephen Levine. Oh, yes, yes, And he would, he would always ask in his workshops, are you going to die on an in-breath or an out-breath? <laughs> so just that moment is so awe-inspiring and so precious. Definitely, definitely, and not something to be afraid of in some way. And when I say privilege, because sometimes, many times, uh, the death of a loved one, they won't die until we leave the room and go to the restroom or something, or we just briefly leave the room, and that's when they expire. It's almost like they can't let go when when we're around because the tie is so so strong to to our loved ones. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure that's, I'm just saying that. I, I haven't seen no, research. No, it but. happened in my life. My wife passed away, and um, she was in the hospital a couple of weeks, and she came home, her mother was with her, and I went to get groceries, and she passed away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's why I say it's kind of a privilege in that moment when, when we can when we're allowed to be there at the end with our loved ones. And any, any closing remarks, uh, any, anything you want to leave us with, um, how mm. we can bring more awe into our lives and, well, and be just aware remind, of it. Yeah, reminding people that it is truly all around us. I mean, one, if people don't believe me, Go pick a flower or go to the florist and buy one rose and just look inside that flower. Uh, one of my highlights of my life was being in Amsterdam when it was tulip time and went to this park that had seven million tulips and seeing this bright red crimson tulip and then looking inside of it and there was like a kaleidoscope of yellow center with black all around it. Oh, wow. So wow. look around wow. you. Awe is all over. It's all over. I want to thank you so much, Alan, for being with us today. Thank you. It has been a true joy and hard to believe that we're finished. <laughs> I know. I know. We'll have to continue on in, in, in the future. I've been speaking with Alan Klein. He's the author of The Awe Factor, How a Little Bit of Wonder Can Make a Big Difference in Your Life. And if you want to know more about him, you can go to his website, alankline.com. He spells his name A-L-L-E-N-K-L-E-I-N, alankline.com. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org.
I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You've been listening to New Dimensions. This is program number 3,727. New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You, too, can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. You can also subscribe to our free weekly podcasts and find over a thousand hours of audio dialogues in our searchable archive. New Dimensions is produced by New Dimensions Radio in Santa Rosa, California, USA. Our executive producer is Justine Willis-Toms. Our post-production editor is Lou Judson. For over four decades, New Dimensions has been producing weekly conversations at the leading edge. We sincerely thank all of you who have supported us by being members of Friends of New Dimensions as well as members of our affiliate stations. My name is Dan Drayson. On behalf of everyone at New Dimensions whose endeavors make this program possible, I'm wishing you well. New Dimensions Radio is an independent producer supported by listener contributions. To find out more about the program you've just heard, to subscribe to our free weekly newsletter and our New Dimensions and New Dimensions Cafe podcasts, and to access thousands of other programs in the New Dimensions archive, please visit our website, newdimensions.org. That's newdimensions.org. Or call us at 707-468-5215. That's 707-468-5215. Please join us next time as we explore New Dimensions.